Welcome to the Forward 40 Podcast, where we highlight the experiences of 40 women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. This is an ode to our foremothers, a healing circle of our unique experiences, and a bridge of insight and wisdom across generations. everyone for another segment of Forward 40. I am so pleased to be reunited with my mentor, friend, colleague, former supervisor, fellow Bronxite, Dr. Sophia Bautista Pertus, who is the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at the Jet Foundation. Welcome, Sophia. Hello, We have to definitely talk about our other connections, but I'm just so happy to be part of this program today. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, fail to mention that we are at the Boogie Down Grind Cafe um, in Hunts Point, the other H neighborhood of the the Bronx, um, but also in, in the South Bronx. And a special connection that Sophia and I have is that we're both from Hybrid. Yes. Yeah, Hybrid. <laughs> and we didn't realize that until I was in grad school and applied to work with Sophia at the time. She was the director of the Office of Multicultural Affairs at Fordham University. And um, when I went in to interview, I don't even remember half of the interview questions, but it felt very intense. <laughs> I, I have the moment. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she's such a sweetie, (laughs) Um, but it did feel intense. Um, And while we were, you know, in conversation, it came up that we're both from Highbridge, both in the same neighborhood, same zip code. Yeah. um, And then discovered that we went to the same elementary middle school. Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart Girls Catholic High School. And pleased to have another Cathedralite alum that's here with us. Uh, from the class of 76? 76. 76. So this is truly an intergenerational. Class of 04. Truly an intergenerational um, moment. So thank you again uh, for being here with us. Um, so this month is National Minority uh, Mental Health Month, Awareness yes. Month. Yes. So can you speak more about kind of like where you're situated right now at the Jed Foundation? Formerly you were working in, still in diversity, and equity, and inclusion, um, but in higher ed. And then how that kind of like came about for you to be in a space that is focused on mental health. Well, um, I think all of us are focused on mental health because it's part of our everyday life. Um, It should be just like we think about health, right? If we don't have your full health, you can't function otherwise. Um, Same thing with mental health. So I worked in higher education for almost 25 years. And during my whole time, I've always been in student affairs, whether it was doing diversity work full time or working um, in residence life, living on campus, doing student activities. Um, My last position was associate vice president and dean of students at Hofstra University. Um, And just observing what students go through and the kinds of support systems they need and how things have changed, I would say, over the last 20 years. Um, from when I started, you know, from grad school, working from one kind of institution to another, I worked in many different colleges, and what I found was 
every student was just dealing with that transition and yeah. um, trying to figure themselves out, trying to figure out the context of who they are, and that's what college life is about. And I love that part of um, life and that transition, that age group and that um, that life. So. When I was dean of students at Hofstra, one thing I, that struck me was students just struggling, just trying to figure out where they fit. And when you're at a um, institution where you're not sure if you fit in because you're not part of the majority, and usually I don't like the word minority, and I know it's minority mental health, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But truly, sometimes you are a minority, yeah. numerically, and then that means that you're also underrepresented. You're also not feeling like you're part of um, the norm or what is considered the norm. So yeah. when I saw those struggles, I always found my way over to whatever diversity effort was happening because I thought that was a way to help majority folks mm -hmm. understand the just the struggles, the, mm -hmm. the hard time um, adjusting and the trying to understand, just trying to figure out how do I not know how things are for everyone else, you know, especially if you have a limited scope. Mm -hmm. um, so what brought me to the Jet Foundation, um, they have an equity and mental health framework that was developed in the last few years with the Steve Fund, another non-for-profit focusing on um, mental health of students of color, which was a partnership. And what came out of the equity and mental health framework was recommendations for colleges for how to create a system or a campus environment that yeah. can really um, affirm the mental health of students of color. So mm -hmm. once I heard about that and I heard about this position, it um, started out as senior advisor for our JET campus program, which is a signature um, college comprehensive approach to mental health um, and well-being on campuses. I said, okay, what they're gonna focus on is trying to make sure that that comprehensive approach is able to address all student needs, whether it's students of color um, and, and any other marginalized identities. And we have a partnership also with the Tyler Clemente Center that is looking at LGBTQ plus, queer spectrum and trans spectrum. So um, it was just exciting mm -hmm. to know that that was the direction that the Jet Foundation was going, that they were really looking at how do we serve everyone. Yeah. So there was no way I couldn't take that opportunity when yeah. it came my way. Mm -hmm. and. Um, it was hard to leave one institution, like Hofstra, uh, working with one place that I could really make a difference with students, but the thing that got me really thinking was having a bigger impact yeah. and working with many institutions and many colleges to help many thousands mm -hmm. more students. Mm -hmm. So that's what brought me to the Jack Foundation, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk more about yeah. my and journey, but that's definitely it. It's, it. it's interesting, you know, like you're, you were able to find um, a space where you can transfer the skills that you had in higher ed to now go on to broaden the support at other higher ed institutions um, in the space of mental health because, you know, coming from a, a borough that has been deemed, you know, kind of the, the outcast in, in New York City, I, I would actually probably say maybe Staten Island is probably the, the, <laughs> yeah, the most, I mean, sorry for all of those <laughs> that are in Staten Island, um, but um, specifically in the South Bronx, it came with a lot of stigma um, and feeling like, as, you know, Drake says, you know, like started from the bottom, now we're here, like now I'm here with you and it can feel when you're in spaces like that, like you're at the bottom that you're at the, the lowest of low and you don't necessarily know how to advocate for yourself. Um, what have you, I guess, employed in your journey to advocate for yourself as a professional in this space, but then also knowing that um, you have other students um, and, and peers in the work that are looking to you to be a voice to them when 
they don't feel like they have one. True, true. Well, one thought I have about the idea of starting from the bottom, mm -hmm. that's such an um, interesting concept. And with time and experience and perspective, you realize you didn't know you were at the bottom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just mm -hmm. knew what you knew. And um, if you had told me when I was little, you're poor mm -hmm. or you're considered poor, I would have been like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I have enough to eat. We have, you know, great programs. We get the free cheese. Like, oh. there, were, there, were, there were plenty of resources around us that took good care of us. Um, so I didn't know I was poor. And I remember being in church and praying for the poor. And then it struck me when only when I went to college and, and yep. started working in places where I saw affluence and uh -huh. I saw people with real money, like real money. Um, that I said, oh, wait a minute, there are people praying for me. <laughs> and I was the poor. So it just, I don't know how that hit me one day, but I was yes. like, okay, that's so yes. interesting. Um, so the idea of starting from the bottom, I think everything that I learned, like I'm so grateful mm -hmm. for everything that I have and all the opportunities that came my way because, yeah, I can look back and go, yeah, we, there were days we didn't have enough. And mm -hmm. there were days that things seemed rough or we were living in projects in, in Highbridge that... I think now, again, perspective. We lived on the 13th floor, and our ceilings were always leaking because it was the and last And today floor. is July 13th. <laughs> July 13th, I know. 13 is my favorite number. My daughter's born on the 13th. Um, and actually, I started at Jed on November 13th. So Look today, eight, today is eight months that I've been with Jed. So it's kind nice. of a cool number. But we lived on the 13th floor, and I was one of five siblings who lived, who lived um, there. And our view was of the... Um, George Washington Bridge. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, I'm sure it's premium real estate at this point. But looking back, knowing that I lived in that and that was mm -hmm. beautiful, but when people hear me say out loud, I live in the project, it's almost like they feel sorry for me. Mm -hmm. like, so for me, taking all of that and using that perspective, that's how I advocate. I always say, okay, who is in a situation now that they don't realize that they don't have enough or that the opportunities might not come to them? So anytime I get something, I try to give back, yeah. right? They always say, like, too much, too, however, whoever much is given, much is expected. Yes. So yes. I've always taken that to heart. And, you know, I went to SUNY New Paltz for undergrad, and that was a wonderful opportunity. Um, I went to Seton Hall University for grad school for my master's and my PhD, which the PhD was a longer journey than my master's. <laughs> that one I got quickly, quickly but um, the PhD was longer. But either way, I found along the way other people helping me. Yes. So mm -hmm. I was always able to speak up when I needed to, and I was very lucky to be given a voice in every situation I was in, whether I was in grad school working. Um, so I, I feel like I just continue to do that. Like Whatever opportunity I have to have a voice to say, you know, there might be someone out there that needs something, mm -hmm. that needs, whether it's money, financial, or just mentorship. Yes. I say mentorship is probably the number one and sponsorship. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if I answered your question. But no, you did. And you brought up that journey. You brought up several back. things for me. So um, I definitely want to get on, uh, you know, the fact that you are a finisher. And with finisher, I'm going to put the PH there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And I know that that was a journey, but um, like still connecting it to like upbringing. Like this morning, uh, I looked at the devotional today from the Acts of Faith, and it was about like starting at home. And um, that everything is home. Like when, when you go out into the world, when you're at work, there are parts that you still need to address the home. And it may be the physical home. It could be your own state of being that you need to like center yourself um, as you're going throughout the day. But to ground it in, in the Bronx, I know that I have personally and um, 
Majora Carter is one of the co-owners of the Boogie Down um, Grind Cafe, and she even spoke recently on a Side Hustle Pro, a plug for Side Hustle Pro um, segment about like not leaving and kind of this um, this tension of having this identity that's associated with place and home, um, and how do you navigate this like just the world with that being a part of you. So what elements of being a Bronxite have you um, found to be affirming for you um, as we're like here in this space and, you know, like as, in your work, um, as you reflect on things that you want to do in the future? I think when I think of the Bronx, I mean, I when I left for college, that was pretty much it. And my sister just recently, we went to a writing retreat and she said out loud, you know, Sophia went to college and she never came back. Mm. And I had never heard her say that and I never heard, thought of it that way. Mm. I was just moving on to my next journey. Mm-hmm. So, and, but it was true mm. because I worked in residence life. I always lived on campuses. Mm. So um, to me, it wasn't, there was no option to come back. There was no room for me. There were five of us living in one household and mm. um, not much room anyway. So... Having been an RA, I had my own room. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I, I, I can't turn back now and share a room with three people. Um, but honestly, it was it was not. It was almost like a. There's no one left at home to, uh, except for my family, mm-hmm. to to receive me in terms of social and working. Mm-hmm. There were no jobs back mm-hmm. where, at least the job that I was doing mm-hmm. back home. Mm-hmm. So for me, home was always where I was at the time. Mm-hmm. So right now, home for me is not so much the location, but it's more who's around me to mm-hmm. give me that comfort. So, you know, I've been married 18 years to a wonderful man, yes. Antonio Perdue, shout out to him, who's been such a wonderful support system, and we have um, two kids, one who's turning 16, another one who's going to be 12, and it's amazing to, to even know, but to me, home is that, that you surround yourself with people who are have your back, who are going to cheer you on with whatever is next. Um, but the connection to the Bronx, I can think of a lot of fond memories, mm-hmm. and mostly it's very loving for me, but then I, I remember back about the oppression that mm-hmm. I felt and being mm-hmm. the only Dominican family I'm, I was born in Dominican Republic was brought here when I was one um, I say I came here but where was I going <laughs> <laughs> aside from my family coming here um, so we grew up in a neighborhood that was mostly Puerto Rican and black mm-hmm. and for many people and I know I'm black mm-hmm. I learned that in college by mm-hmm. the way because mm-hmm. in Dominican in my Dominican family when we talked of blackness it was not connected to who we were as an identity so that's a whole nother podcast mm-hmm. for another day but which we did today. explore on episode two <laughs> with Kat Almonte, who's also right. Afro-Latina yes, yes, right. and Dominican. Right. So, yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so, when I think of the Bronx, I remember getting into fights because of how light-skinned I was mm-hmm. and, and just physically fighting and having to defend myself, having to defend my sisters and um, being different. Mm-hmm. And when I look back, I go, okay, that's probably why I'm so passionate about diversity and inclusion because... I don't want anyone to feel left out. Mm. And there were so mm-hmm. many moments in my life I felt that way. Mm. And I don't think it was intentional. I mean, well, when I got into fights, it was intentional. Yeah. Just come and <laughs> dump me. But um, when I think of the fun times that I had, I, I was able to go outside and run around with my sisters mm-hmm. and, um, and my brother and go to a library. And there were so many cool things like community centers nearby that I thought were very affirming for us. Um, so those are my fond memories. But I also remember hearing things like the Bronx was burning and it was so horrible in the 80s and to me that's just what it was Mm -hmm. abandoned buildings and seeing having exposure to drugs and violence and being in parties sometimes like 
we we went to a lot of fun parties, but then all of a sudden it'd be like, okay, someone might have a gun or someone might have mm-hmm. a, uh, a knife, so we better get out of here. <laughs> and we would just leave and go home. And I, thank God we were safe. And, mm-hmm. and um, my mom never knew about those <laughs> issues. <laughs> But, but for the most part, I would say it built my resilience. Mm-hmm. And back to the idea of starting from the bottom. If I hadn't started from the bottom, I wouldn't be at the top if mm-hmm. I think of anything being a top and bottom, which mm-hmm. I hate again. But at the same time, you have to recognize that something is better than something else. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd prefer to be in a comfortable state now and be able to help others than to not be. And then I, we're kind of stuck together, not, yeah. not being able to re- access resources. And, and now we have a, a, a ringtone of... Uh, uh, a very oh, message. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah hip hop message. I love it. Oh, um, you. So your reference of like just like dealing with like colorism mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm. one of very few, if not the only, Dominican family. Yep. It brought me back to a moment that it feels like it was just yesterday, and it clearly was not because this was sixth grade. Um, when my teacher at the time at Sacred Heart. Um, asked, what do you want to be uh, when you grow up and what do you want to do? And I said, I'm going to get my PhD. And I remember, I will not say his name because uh, I don't want to give him that much uh, clout. Um, there was a classmate of mine that laughed. And um, that kind of threw me off. And then we, the conversation even shifted into like why I wanted to get my PhD. For me, that was like the highest thing that I could attain. And I still had the vision here, a young black girl in the South Bronx, you know, raised by a single mother that I'm like, no, this is what I'm going to achieve. Right. And here it is, one of my peers laughing at me, but I, I knew then, okay, for me to achieve and get a PhD as a black woman, that's gonna be phenomenal. Um, and that classmate did not identify in, in the way that I thought that he would. And he was a Dominican male. I was just like, wow, I see me in you. I see you in me. Like, why right. don't you right. see yep. this? Like, why don't you see this possibility? Um, so to transition on to your journey with being a finisher, um, can you speak more about that? You know, because I remember when I met you and I knew you were on that journey. I was like, wow, she's a wife. <laughs> She's a mother. She's a director of multicultural affairs. We're from the same neighborhood. Like, it was just so much synergy there that I saw myself in you and was so proud of you once you actually finished. So if you can just talk more about, your, you know, the lessons learned, the journey, and also what you started as a result of that journey. Okay. Well, um, I have so much to think about on this one, but the idea of... I'm going to start with finding your networks, finding your people that support you. Um, When I said I wanted to get my PhD in my family, they were like, of course you are. Hmm. But there were settings where I remember going up to someone at Seton Hall. I had just finished my master's degree. My GPA was a 3.9, so clearly I was able to get through my master's. And I was the youngest (laughs) one. I was the youngest one in my classes uh, because I went straight to college. and the person behind the counter who was one of the associate deans looks at me and says to me, oh, you're, what are you looking for? I said, the application for the PhD, for the doctoral program. And he said, oh, you shouldn't set yourself up for disappointment. You know, oh he, he knew nothing about me. And he happened to be a priest, so that was harder even still. And, and just said to me, basically, like, don't set yourself up for disappointment because you might not get in. And I just looked at him 
and I had so much other affirmation in my life that that one moment, I still remember it now, and may he rest in peace, he passed away. Um, I said, he doesn't even know me. He doesn't mm-hmm. know my GPA. He doesn't know that I was already told by my faculty to apply and stay in the program. So, mm-hmm. But he had no idea, right? But I still applied, and I don't know if that helped contribute to some of my pause, because mm-hmm. I still got through my classes, did everything I had to do, and the thing that got me stuck was that final moment, that mm-hmm. writing the dissertation, because mm-hmm. that's all on you. Your mm-hmm. own, you know, you have a class, you take it a semester, you have things, markers and things you have to turn in. But when it comes to a dissertation and writing a thesis, they're your own ideas, they're your own concepts, and yep. you have to get affirmation from someone else that Absolutely. it's okay. So, and I felt really lucky at Seton Hall, I got that. I got mm-hmm. one faculty member who worked with, through one dissertation topic with me and was like, yep, let's get this done, We're wonderful, stop. Mm-hmm. Got married, uh, you know, got kids, whatever, and, and that's not an excuse, that's just what I put in the way of what I yeah. needed to do. Mm-hmm. Then dissertation number two, I got a new faculty member, another person who was there with me, supportive, ready to go, Again, I stopped. But this was, you know, me continuing my career along the way. And then finally, I sat with this one woman, Dr. Angelica Perez-Litwin, who gave me the generosity of her time. She's wonderful. She runs um, a, lot, a lot of Latina-affirming leadership programs. And she said, what topic do you want to do? So I explained to her topic two. Mm-hmm. And she just stared at me, and she was like, that sounds boring. You don't sound like you even like that topic. Mm. I said, well, I have another one I've been working on. And she's like, what was that? said it's about you know Latina administrators and some of the struggles we go through and as women of color trying to figure out how to um, get support for just our professional development and I'm mm-hmm. going on I probably talked for an hour mm-hmm. <laughs> I can go on mm-hmm. and she goes that's the topic you need to do mm-hmm. so again I got lucky and I keep saying luck but I feel like lucky is you prepare yourself for things and then you receive them when they're ready for you there mm-hmm. and I found a new faculty member Dr. Ong Young Kim at Seton Hall who took me on, had never had me in class, and when I went to go see her, I, I, I saw that she worked on this topic of women of color and Korean women specifically oh, on, oh. Um, in her research. So I said, would you be willing to work with me? She goes, absolutely. And, and we got it done because it was a topic of interest and passion for me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the other thing that got me finished though, when you think about that, is I created a, first I started blogging about it. Just let me tell the world what's happening with me because. I need to get it out somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I got, I created a blog called Latinas Completing Doctor Degrees because I just said, let me just start writing. Then one of my colleagues um, said to me, Sholina Yala, I love giving credit where credit is due. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Because I think we don't do that enough. Um, but Sholina Yala wrote to me a, a text and said something like, you know, you need to turn your blog into a Facebook group because other people need to chime in and have a voice or kind of share what's going on for them. I said, okay, let's do it. So I went ahead and started it, and you know, people started joining, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100. And at one point, someone wrote in the, in the group, oh wow, um, I just talked to my faculty advisor, because you'd be amazed how much oppression happens within doctoral programs and master's programs. Mm-hmm. Faculty who just do not give that support that we, we need. Mm-hmm. And one of the faculty members said, oh, you're part of an online group? Oh, that's good, you have a support system. How many people? She said, oh, there's about 400 in the group. And he's like, that many? And I remember mm-hmm. reading that and going, that many? Well, guess what? We have 6,000 people now in the group who are that is con- awesome. Are engaging, are, are is giving great. each other advice. I mean, one day, I, I just need to read through everything, and I think all those resources in there are ready to go for like a whole website on um, how to get through. Some of it is not even the writing techniques. There's a lot of technical mm-hmm, stuff about research mm-hmm, that's in there, but I think it's just the... How do you talk to your committee member who told you they don't like your topic? Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you get through the oppression and mm-hmm. being the only person of color in your program? Yeah. 
So anyway, what got me finished, aside from the support of my family, like I said before, is that group and knowing I was accountable to them. And knowing that if I posted in that group that I needed to be, um, get this degree and I made that an important thing, I needed to just get it done. So I did. Woke up so at 3 o'clock in the morning. 6,000 <laughs> 6, strong now. 6,000 strong. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep, it's very exciting. And focused on an array of issues within the doctoral yes. sphere. Yep. That's yep. amazing. Yep. That is amazing. Um, now, you, you brought up mentorship and sponsorship, and you have been a mentor to me since, you know, I was your employee. <laughs> and we maintain contact throughout the years. I was there to celebrate your mother's 75th birthday a couple, mm-hmm. of, um, couple of years ago. Um, and you, you are family. How would you recommend um, that we find our family within the sector? Uh, because for you, there was a lot that you were going through personally and professionally, and you got it out through a blog that yeah. then has now this this reach but there are times where we don't even know where to begin right. or what to do right. so what, what would you advise well I'm going to flip it on you a little bit okay. and say that <laughs> while I have mentored you and I know that we've had moments where we text each other and I think everyone should have people in their lives who they can check in with mm-hmm. when they're trying to make some big decisions especially career decisions or education experiences um, decisions uh, but when I made the decision to leave uh, university to go to the Jet Foundation, a not-for-profit organization, that was huge for me. I had been in higher ed. I built yeah. up. My next step was supposed to be, in my head, vice president of student affairs and maybe someday a president of and, a no, university. No, no, no. Well, we, we still we are already going to be... Yes, <laughs> we're we are not there still yet. going to I, be presidents. I, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up yet, but <laughs> I just knew that I, I had in mind a certain projection. So when this opportunity came my way, I was like, wait, it doesn't fit on the spectrum of what I had in mind. It's, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And Imani had just gotten her um, certification as a coach. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking and she's like, can I coach you? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> I, I need that. It came at the right exact moment and we hadn't been in touch in a few years. So um, my advice is there's sometimes we have this thing about age or about who's in what status position. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of your best mentors could be people that ha- don't have that degree mm-hmm. that you think they should have, are not mm-hmm. older than you. Mm-hmm. Imani's a little younger than me, about <laughs> 13 years. Um, and she gave me the best advice that I could have gotten in that moment in time than anyone else who could have. So Thank you. So my, my thought on that is we're always looking for people who either look like us or are older than us mm-hmm. to mentor us, but we have people around us that we can ask. And one story I always tell about you know who mentors you, who can help you. When I was in college, one of my best tutors was my dad, my father. May, oh. may he rest in peace because he was always keeping up with um, Latin American current events. Mm-hmm. And I was up in Newport. We had two channels. <laughs> Back in my day, there was no cable or TV. So I couldn't really keep up. With, and there was no internet yet. I know I'm aging myself at this point. But I would just call him because he read the paper, the El Diario La Prensa, every day. So I would call him and say, what's going on when I was taking Latin American classes? Because that's mm-hmm. the opportunity you have in college, if you're lucky. 
that you can take classes that start teaching you about yourself. So I took black studies courses, I took Latin American studies courses, mm -hmm. stuff you don't learn yeah. because they don't I teach it to you yeah. in your K through 12 program. By design. Exactly. Well, yeah. I, I, I want to say it's, it's unintentional, but you, you get left out of the narrative Absolutely. and the story. So you kind of have to make up for it when you go to college and then you're shocked and you're mm -hmm. like, how did this happen? Anyway, so my father was one of those people that provided for me at that time what I needed to pass my class, I get an A in my class. Mm -hmm. So sometimes mentorship, like I said, comes from different people and sometimes they don't look like you. And there's a thing about, oh, you always have to be mentored by someone your own culture or mm -hmm. race. But my best mentors and sponsors is a difference. Yes. A sponsor is someone who, a mentor is someone who talks with you mm -hmm. about your career. A sponsor is someone who talks for you and about you yes. to help you get an opportunity. And I had many white people in my life, white men and white women, who saw something in me and not only gave me encouraging words, but also spoke on my behalf. Mm -hmm. And some people might say, oh, well, you know, um, they're just looking out for themselves or whatever, but I'm, here, I'm where I am. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't be anywhere near where I, was, where I am now if it wasn't for people along the way putting themselves out there and putting mm -hmm. their reputations and their own work um, reputation, I would say, mm -hmm. out there. So sometimes you have to do that and mm -hmm. get to know people that are different than you to be able to get those people to know you better. And it takes you out of your comfort zone, yeah. but you have to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I definitely have uh, um, one of those in my corner, uh, another mentor, and she's a white woman. Um, and she was actually the supervisor I had before you. Um, her name is Jane Marie Hendershot, um, and she works for Uncommon Schools. And she was the one who saw something in me and knew the perfect graduate program for me. And she was right, um, because I was on another journey um, prior to. And she has been there, like, on call whenever I was in a moment of, I just need to bounce ideas mm -hmm. off of you. I, I need someone to breathe more life into this particular situation. So I, I definitely um, agree with you on that. Now, um, we did mention like other like notable Bronxites. Um, and I also want to know, since we are in a hip hop cafe, I do want to know um, your favorite hip hop song. Oh, that's a tough one. Well, let's talk about hybrid for a moment. Okay, you know, we, okay. We got a name drop for a minute, but um, one of them is Cardi B. And I remember when she came out, I was like, She's from Hybrid. She's making that a big deal. And I wasn't sure if I enjoyed her message because mm -hmm. it's been a while since I um, listened to some hip-hop stuff. But I understand that people like her have an influence and show others you can make it. Whatever Absolutely. you want, you set your mind to, you can do it. Mm -hmm. And you can get out there and don't worry about what other people think of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Even Sophia. <laughs> um, but then the other one I want to talk about, who also went to Sacred Heart with us, because we have to, is Tarana Burke, who, as we know, is the founder of the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And she, it's been amazing to watch how people have now, right? Now, You know how exactly. they talk about overnight success? She has been part in her mission and putting this word out there about um, sexual assault and relationship violence for decades. Yep. And I'm so glad to see her getting the recognition that she's getting. And the fact that she's from Highbridge and yes. from Sacred Heart yes. is so heartwarming for all of us. Because it's like, you know what? Each of us can make it and can get our voice out there to help others. So Absolutely. it's so awesome. Absolutely. So now, hip-hop song. Yes. Okay, first of all. Um, you have a list. Well, I wrote some down. Imani, Imani asked me about these before, and I was like, there's no way. I mean, you know how um, 
Lacamore like, uh, like says, you know, hip hop raised me. Uh-huh. Macklemore, um, hip hop raised me. I feel like hip hop raised me. Mm-hmm. Like, I was listening to hip hop for so long. Um, so if I had to pick a song, one of them is Rapper's Delight. I know okay. the whole thing. And I just okay. did a karaoke version of it at the Stonewall last year. Wow. Last summer. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a video somewhere. Of that. And I thought they would play the shorter version because you know how this too. They played the eight-minute version and I did the whole thing. The whole thing. Yes. Congratulations. One, I would say that's my favorite only because I know it so well. Uh-huh. Um, but my favorite artist is Slick Rick, who's from okay. the Bronx. Okay. And me and my, it helps me and my sisters bond because we know those songs by heart. Like we sing it. We nice. you use the phrases from them all the time. <laughs> and children's story. The song has the um, line "crash into a tree near university." And I, grew, and I grew up in University Avenue, so that I love like, that. Okay. <laughs> but okay, the last one is my song is "Bonita Applebaum" ah, by Tribe Called Quest because it was probably the first time that I heard like dimensions of a body and it was okay it was like 38 24 37 uh, <laughs> me and you honey we're a match made in heaven like it was to me the first time I saw like the images of women that are mm-hmm. bigger like me that have you know big hips big butts like that's and it was cool and that's okay mm-hmm. and to hear that when you're already at an age that you're not sure um where you fit in the world yeah because you're getting messaging from the media from other people about what size you're supposed mm-hmm. to be um, so it was one of the first songs that kind of nice. affirmed me. Nice. Well, I didn't have a... Well, I mean, I do love Remy Ma, um, fellow Bronx. I, in terms of song that I know from beginning to end, one of the first that I did learn was Push It by salt and Peppa, And also um, Rob Bass. Oh, that was the song. <laughs> that was the everyone get on the dance floor. Exactly, exactly. And I was so proud of myself when I learned it yes. as a child. Yeah, Um so I, I guess in closing, as we do with every um, segment, is a tea affirmation for uh, the listeners, something. And I am sipping on the almond tea. I will say that the almond tea here at Boogie Down Grand Cafe is amazing. Um, thank you again, Tyson. Um, what would you give to the audience um, leading up to the, the next segment? I would give that whatever you set your mind to, if you do your work and if you do find your people and get the support system around you, mm-hmm. you can do anything you want to do. And one of my favorite um, phrases is, leave the world better than you find it mm-hmm. or anything that you touch. Um, so that's something that's always important to me, that whatever I do, wherever I go, I want to leave it better than yes. what I found it because someone made it better for me. Yes. So that's always important. Well, I'm going to surprise you with something as I look for my phone. I found it. Um, I actually, I was going crazy last night trying to locate this and then realized that it's in my office. So this is something that you gifted me with and I'm going to read it. So when I started at (laughs) Fordham, Mm -hmm. Sophia was the first one to gift me with a bamboo plant. And I did not have a green thumb at the time. Uh, Now I have two bamboo in my office, and they are alive and thriving. And I have your message up in my office. And you said, Dear Imani, this bamboo plant was chosen especially for you. It is a symbol of strength since the bamboo is the strongest plant in the world. The bamboo is also a symbol of resilience due to its stability. Bamboo has been used to make many useful things, including furniture, musical instruments, paper, and food. 
In order to do diversity and social justice work, you must have both strength and resilience. Although there may be times when things get difficult, know that you are doing important work and your mere presence here at Fordham, and I will also extend to the world, is a blessing to the campus community. Let's make this an excellent year with warmest regards, <laughs> Sophia Bautista Pertuzzi. Oh, so I know I don't need to keep pushing up. <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. It is truly true. An honor to know you and to have you in my life. I can't even speak. <laughs> and I'm so grateful to have seen you excel, succeed when people have doubted you. When people have questioned the sincerity in your heart. And I hope that those that are listening know that they just need that strength and resilience that was raised in the South Bronx in Highbridge to just see it through. So thank you so much. Aww. And all of this crying is going to be. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I think we could have gone on all day. Yes. But I, I really appreciate you and everything you've done for me. So thank you. I, I see so much happening for you that I can't I can't wait to see it. Thank you it's so much. Amazing. Thank you. And I'll also add that um, we did this very special segment um, as an extension of a fundraiser. Um, so for those that are listening, uh, if you text forward 40, the number 40, uh, to 44-32 for development, a nonprofit very dear to my heart um, that supports... 44321. Thank you for clarifying. Um, it's, it educates black college students on entrepreneurship as an alternative career option. And it does it through a very culturally specific and relevant way. So thank you all for listening. And thank you again, Sophia, for being here with us. Thank you. And thank you, Majora, for having this beautiful, beautiful, like, space, the vision um, that you've had, that you brought to another section in the South Bronx. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Boogie Down Brian. Yes. <laughs> Boogie Down Brian. Until we connect again, sip, sis, sila, share, and continue to serve.